Ian Eagle, a longtime friend of the program, even beyond March Madness. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. How are you? Hey, DG. Great to talk to you, man. Great to talk with you. You know how we always like to picture you in all of the highest level meetings. So I wonder, <laughs> yeah. because there's this weird conversation about whether CBS and Turner should show crying children on TV or not. Like, do people stop Iron Eagle on the street with their complaints along those lines? You just have to say, hey, ask the executives. I'm just trying to do my job. How does that work? Yeah. No, I have not been stopped on the street in, in regards to crying children. I, I understand the perspective, though. Certainly, if it was your kid and the camera focuses in on them at an emotional moment, you might take umbrage with it. I think there's a way to do it without being gratuitous, without embarrassing anybody, without ridiculing anybody. And maybe the philosophy is pretty simple. Just don't go back for the shot. Things happen on live TV. Yeah. You've been around this business forever. And you might get a shot that is something you didn't expect. And that's part of being a director is taking some risks and taking some challenges to provide the best viewing experience to the to the fan possible, but maybe uh, you can show a little bit of restraint in going back to the shot a second time, a third time. That, that's the way I would weigh in on that. I find the unapologetic journalists coming out in me in this conversation, not as much about the little kids, but when there's complaints about, you know, the 17 to 23 year olds who are wearing the uniforms, right? I mean, <laughs> you guys paid billions of dollars, and, and I, and I think, took much of that out of his back pocket. You guys Fair paid point. a lot of money for this, and, and I don't – isn't it uh, part of the essence of this thing to show how important and meaningful it is to these coaches, these players? Because if it wasn't for that, why would so many Mega Millions tune in, right? No doubt about it, and having done this tournament now for 21 years, I feel it every year yeah. those emotions percolate based on the fact that it means so much to the participants and then beyond it when you go inside these arenas i had michigan state syracuse last week in detroit and there were three michigan state fans behind me and jim spinarkle as we waited to do our post-game hit and they did a post-game interview with tom izzo and they fed a video back to new york a good solid 25 minutes went by and I turned around, and they were still sitting there, mm. shell-shocked. They were not trying to get on TV. If anything, I think they were just trying to get a hold of themselves to walk out of the arena in one piece and keep it together. And it just reminded me, because I get so caught up in my world of making sure I'm accurate, making sure I'm telling the stories and humanizing these players in some way, that people are emotionally affected, deeply affected, by the results of these games, David. No doubt about it. Ian Eagle is joining us tonight at 722-ish. He has Villanova, West Virginia. Is that going to include, I know not all the ballots are counted for postseason awards. I even vote in some of them, and I'm not sure how they're going to turn out. You might have the National Player of the Year, Jalen Brunson of Villanova, and the National Defensive Player of the Year, Javon Carter of West Virginia, I mean, that's not too much of a stretch. Do you know yet whether they'll be regularly matched up against each other, backcourt to backcourt? My sense is that they will. They are familiar with one another, played on the same AAU team in the Chicago area. There's a healthy respect for what the other does. Javon Carter is one of those players, and you've been following this tournament for a long time. He's one of those players that feels like he's been there for seven years. Mm -hmm. 
he's just been an, uh, an impact player from day one. He was defensive player for the most part his freshman year into his sophomore year, a little bit more offense his junior year, and then this year the complete package, 17.5 points per game, 6.5 assists, three steals per game, number one in college basketball. He has improved in every facet of his game every year. We asked Bob Huggins about it. And he said, nah, I wouldn't even say that he's improved uh, all the facets of his game. He's just getting more responsibility now. I've asked him to score more. So I think that was a nice way of Huggins saying, hey, that's on me. We didn't need him to be that in his first couple of years as a member of the West Virginia Mountaineers. Brunson, look, uh, we remember his dad. Uh, His dad fought hard to be an NBA player. Nine years in the league, nine different teams. He's been a coach for a number of years. Jalen's been around it his whole life. If you look at the measurables only, I don't think you would be blown away by Jalen Brunson. But when you watch him play, when you sense the immeasurables and the things that he brings intangibly to this team, you realize why he's such a gifted leader. And there's a little Fred Van Vliet in there Hmm. where you look at him and you say, "Uh, I don't know. I'm not sure how this is all going to turn out. Yet he finds a way. He's got a winning spirit and soul. He's got natural leadership abilities, and he's delivered with one of the best college basketball seasons I've seen in recent memory. Among the only things that I got right in my pre-tournament bracket predictions uh, was Villanova is the most powerful number one. I think that's turning out to be true. And I had West Virginia as the most dangerous number five. I'm kind of sad that they have to meet this early because I think they're really, really good. And I read, Ian, that, and it surprised me, Jay Wright in his career has five wins and eight losses head-to-head against the Mountaineers. I can't imagine he has a lot of losing records against anybody. Do you sense, is there something about the West Virginia style that has bothered Villanova because I I still see the Wildcats as the more talented team overall, but that number really jumped out at me. Jay Wright versus the Mountaineers. Yeah. Yeah, I think ultimately when you play West Virginia, it will test your toughness. And sometimes coaches don't even know how tough their team is until they get into that moment. Villanova is incredibly balanced. I would tell you from a play-by-play man standpoint, C.G., It's the closest thing to an NBA rhythm Hmm. that I cover all year. The way they spread the ball around, the way they share it, they make the extra pass, they make shots, they make threes, Uh, their inside-outside ability. Uh, I just feel as if it's a beautiful style of basketball, but it doesn't always necessarily translate to wins. Last year, uh, Villanova lost in the second round. And I think they were very upset over the fact that they couldn't overcome Wisconsin. And that was a particular style that on any given day you can lose to. West Virginia is a similar category, different style than Wisconsin, of course. But because they are so committed to how they play, if you have an off day, you can get clipped. The one positive that I would tell you from the Villanova standpoint, if you handle the pressure and break it, in the backcourt, into the forecourt, you'll get open looks. You're going to get open threes. If Villanova is making the shots the way they've made them this year, they've made more threes than any team in college basketball, then I don't think this becomes as big a challenge as some people are making it out to be. But I'm going to agree with you. I think West Virginia was underseeded. Uh, they lost a few really close games, and that may have changed their perception. Instead of 26-10, and 10, 
you might be looking at a 28 and 8 team or a 30 and 6 team, and they probably would have been a two or a three seed, and Villanova and West Virginia never would have met in a Sweet 16. Ian Eagle joining us. Remember, four games tonight. CBS has Clemson, Kansas, followed by Syracuse, Duke, three of the four teams there in Omaha carrying the ACC flag. Ian and his crew have West Virginia, Villanova, followed by Texas Tech and Purdue. We here in ACC country, you know, you we love having you on for a lot of reasons, but you have more of a national perspective. We know the ACC really, really well. I feel like we see more of the Big Ten and Purdue than we see of, say, Texas Tech. I'm not sure I could pick Coach Chris Beard out of a lineup if my, my life depended on it, seriously, and I love college basketball. What can you tell us about the Red Raiders? They are a three seed. It's not like they're some kind of Cinderella, but I think most of us know more about Matt Painter and Isaac Hass's injury and, and what the Boilermakers have done right, but also some of their concerns this year. Yeah, what I can tell you, the snap uh... – story on Texas Tech. Uh, this is a team that's guard heavy. They've got a lead guard in Keenan Evans who is exceptional and has really been the go-to guy. They feed off of his style, attacking style, but they've got young talent. There's a freshman combination, Zaire Smith and Jared Culver. Both are 6'5-ish, 190, 195, incredible athletes. Smith had that 360 dunk in the second round for Texas Tech, the victory over Florida, that opened some eyes. And Culver is a really talented local product. He's from Lubbock, Texas. So this was a huge bet for Chris Beard to keep Culver not only in state but in town and not allow him to go to the University of Texas or Texas A&M. After that, it's a lot of role players. And Chris Beard has had a basketball odyssey as a head coach. He's coached in NAIA. He's coached JUCO. He's coached Division Three. He's coached Division Two. He's coached a semi-pro team in South Carolina. He's bounced around, but if you look at the crux of his resume, he was a 10-year assistant under Bobby Knight and Pat Knight at Texas Tech. And when he had success at Little Rock two years ago, they beat Purdue, by the way. That's the other thing you need to know. Two years ago in the tournament, Chris Beard as the head coach at Little Rock beat Matt Painter Mm. and the Purdue Boilermakers in the first round in a double overtime game. And normally... When you ask coaches, you've, you've done a million interviews yeah. in your career, DJ. When you ask coaches about that experience, normally you get the cliche-riddled answer. So I asked him yesterday at practice, uh, can you go back on, on that game? Can you use it in any way? Can you show it to your team? And usually the, the response is, no, no, no. One has nothing to do mm-hmm. with the other. His response was, absolutely. Hmm. I've already shown the film to my team. I believe there are things we can pick up from that game. And I feel confident about our game plan going against Purdue, which shows you the kind of competitor that he is. Interesting guy. Uh, I definitely think he's changed the culture there fairly quickly. It's a lot of Tubby Smith's players that were there when he lost the job, but there have been some adjustments to the offense where he's told his guys, and this is a quote, look, go out and make a play. I'm not telling you to run the play. I'm telling you to go make a play, and there's that offensive freedom that you've seen watching them. Last thing for Ian Eagle. He is one of the great play-by-play men of our time. He is in Boston for the East region. He has those two calls tonight. I don't know if you have a goal. I mean, you're so young, it would be way down the road. If you have a goal of being an executive in the TV world. But I wonder, in all seriousness, 
when I look at the right side of the bracket, I mean, I could just picture like a Duke Villanova or Kansas Villanova final four sure. matchup. That's just, that's a blue blood dream come true for so many reasons I can't even count them all. How do you describe the other half of the bracket? I mean, I can't even wrap my brain around the fact that we are going to have either Kansas State or Loyola Chicago in the final four. And if somehow a Florida State team that I watched all year long and expected nothing from in the big dance, if they could somehow upset Michigan, I mean, that's kind of a fun possibility, either the Michigan more blue blood influence or the upstart number nine seed Florida State Seminoles. How, How does that usually come out in the wash when it comes to interest level that mix of possible heavyweight blue bloods but but some crazy cinderella type stories on the opposite side yeah i think the mentality has always been tv executives love upsets because it creates interest but they don't necessarily want to see the upsets continue through the tournament because uh, there's a comfort factor in knowing that it's a kentucky or a duke or a kansas or a louisville uh, teams that they're familiar with. With that said, uh, look, you follow this so closely, DG. If there was ever a year for this to happen, it was this year. The topsy-turvy nature of this college basketball season where, yes, Virginia had an outstanding year. They get upset. They're going to have to deal with the history for the rest of their existence. Yeah. Maybe they get a chance to, to get some revenge at some point with uh, – a young class and the ability to carry this forward into next year and a healthy hunter may change all that. But I can't say I'm shocked. I I think we're in a different phase of college basketball than we've ever been based on the fact that there are teams out there that can develop talent, not big names, develop talent, create chemistry, and with good coaching and consistency, They can go out there and win games. Loyola is a prime example of that. Uh, The fact that uh, it's happening now is not surprising. The one-and-done format has changed the game, and the way that the Blue Bloods are recruiting, they may have to reassess it. I'm not sure they can change it because these are the parameters now, but it does create a lot more interest, and now the margins are are so, so much slimmer. I think there used to be a huge separation. I don't believe that to be the case anymore. Watching this tournament and calling it for the 21st year, I've never seen it this close. The parameters are much tighter than they've ever been. It would be uncouth to have Iron Eagle game notes described as bird droppings. But if you did, (laughs) if you did, I would add to your tonight's notes 19 of the last 20 national champions have been top three seeds. And the remaining 12 teams are a beautiful, dare we say, near perfect blend of six teams that qualify as top three seeds. And the other six still standing would be beyond that. So Cinderella-ish, if you will. A bird dropping as our thank you to, to Iron Bird Eagle here on the David Glenn Show. I apologize for that. I don't know what that, where that came from, but I hope you like it. Uh, yeah, no, I'm going to use it. I might use it as bird seed just to clean Even, it up for the, the national audience. But it works. See, I'm it's a Philly guy. Works. I'm a Philly guy. That's just where the garb, the garbage mentality, it's right into the sewer at all times. Ian Eagle cleans it up with his professionalism, and now it is ready as bird seed on t- tonight's broadcast. Thanks for the time, especially on game day, man. Keep up the good work. 
All right, DG. Excited for it. We'll talk soon. <laughs> All right. On TBS tonight, Villanova, West Virginia, 730-ish, Texas Tech, Purdue. What do they say? 30 minutes following the conclusion of the first game. It probably will tip around 10 o'clock. I watched all those games last night, and they were still playing past midnight. So some of these uh, times are true estimates as we look forward to tonight's Sweet 16 game.